What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Richard Ryan is the co-founder of Black Rifle Coffee. In this conversation, we talked about digital media businesses, the building of Black Rifle Coffee into a multi-billion dollar business, free speech, technology, and Richard's foray into Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, and much more. I really enjoyed this conversation with Richard, and I hope that you enjoy it as well. Before we get into this episode, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Fundrise. You all know I believe that the best investors both understand and seek out extreme asymmetry. Fundrise is here to help you do just that. It's the largest direct-to-investor real estate investment platform out there, giving you the opportunity to achieve upside of an asset class previously reserved for institutions and high net worth individuals. That's right. Fundrise is making high-end private market real estate investing accessible to everyone via an easy-to-use automated platform. Its 1 million users already know that the investment with Fundrise is capable of producing strong appreciation returns and income generation while helping to stabilize a diversified portfolio. That's more important now than ever in our inflationary environment. See for yourself how over 190,000 other investors have built a better portfolio with private real estate. It takes just a few minutes to get started with as little as $10. Go to fundrise.com slash pomp today. And for a limited time, you'll get $10 when you place your first investment. Again, that's fundrise.com slash pomp. Go check it out. And when you make your first investment, they'll give you $10 on top of it. Fundrise.com slash pomp. Next up is Compass Mining. Compass Mining is the world's largest marketplace for mining hardware and hosting. With Compass, everyone can mine Bitcoin. Their team makes it easy to start mining wherever you want, at home or in one of their 23 hosting facilities around the world. Through the Compass Marketplace, retail miners can access mining hardware with similar prices and purchase plans as the world's largest mining companies. Compass miners own their machines, they choose whatever mining pool they want, and they mine directly to their own wallets. Miners who don't want to host their machines can order ASICs directly to their doorstep. Simple and low-cost hosting agreements coupled with best-in-class customer service are the reasons why Compass is the simplest and most popular way to mine Bitcoin. Start mining your own Bitcoin today by visiting compassmining.io. Again, compassmining.io. Go check them out and let me know what you think. This episode is brought to you by OKCoin. They are my favorite place to buy, trade, and stake crypto. They're the fastest-growing U.S.-based exchange, serving over 190 countries globally with the easy onboarding and low fees. If you haven't tried them out yet, you should. They're on a mission to make learning about and buying crypto easier than ever. And they're all about bringing more financial literacy to everyone, something we can always use more of. From being the only exchange to integrate Lightning to contributing over $1 million for Bitcoin core developers, they're doing incredible work to further the Bitcoin ecosystem. And they offer lots of other vetted utility assets from gaming to DeFi. With OKCoin, I feel confident that the future really will be OK. To get started, go to OKCoin.com POMP for some free Bitcoin when you sign up. Again, if you want free Bitcoin, go to OKCoin.com POMP today. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got Richard here with me. Uh, I'm super excited about this. I feel like we could 
sit here for 17 hours and talk about all kinds of different shit. Uh, let's start with uh, Black Rifle Coffee, which is probably what people, uh, the brand that they're going to know the most about. Sure. Uh, who was the genius who was like, we should take all these military terminologies and put them on coffee and then sell them to uh, millions of Americans? Like, how did this all come up? And uh, how do you think about the business today? Wow. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time coming. Uh, Evan definitely gets the credit for that, for sure. Uh, to their credit, we all had kind of lines in the water at the time. This is 2014. Evan was standing up businesses between Twist Rate and uh, Ready Man. And JT and Matt had their clothing company. They have a whiskey company. I was launching a digital media company with Verizon and hers, part of their Go90 initiative. And Evan was like, hey, I want to roast some coffee for you guys at Art 15. They did a trial run and it did exceptionally well. And he's like, we need to figure this out. And, you know, we all came together and Black Rifle Coffee was born. Again, there was a lot of lines in the water, but that was the thing that took off. And we wholeheartedly embraced it. And it's been a, uh, a wild ride. How big is the business? Is this like a, uh, it's not a $5 million a year revenue business. It's like a hundred million dollar, but like what, what can you tell me ballpark wise? Like how fucking big is this? Yeah. Well, so it's funny. I have a lot of experience with three letter agencies uh, or government organizations and, and the SEC is not one of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm very reluctant to talk about things that could be construed as insider information, but there is publicly available information because we are a publicly traded company now. Uh -huh. So you can find all that stuff online. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, and, and so when you think about uh, why this brand specifically was so uh, uh, successful, like it's yeah. coffee, right? It's sure. good coffee, but it's still coffee. Is it marketing? Is it branding? Is it something about the product? Is it uh, you guys? Like, like, why did it work when there's so many different coffee brands out there and this one stands out in the minds of so many people? Sure. Yeah. It's one of those things a lot of people can speculate in hindsight's 2020, but it's a lifestyle brand um, for sure. Like people, you know, I made the joke uh, back in the day that, you know, chicks wanted to uh, bang Matt Best and guys wanted to be him. Uh, and it's, it's true. Like with the content that we do, it's fun, it's exciting, it's engaging, but it also comes with meaning and purpose. And I think when we, we focused our narrative on hiring 10,000 veterans and helping veterans transition from military service into civilian life and giving them a path to do so, mentoring them, it really became a value proposition that resonated with the average American. And they're like, how can we support this? I want to be a part of this thing. And it's, you know, it, it's, you know, over the last few years, it's just, it's been like rocket fuel, just igniting. Yeah. Um, when you think about your specific background, obviously you've got the digital media component of this. Uh, maybe explain a little bit of kind of your history, yeah. uh, getting into the digital media space and then how that helped, uh, build, you know, which I cheated, right? It's like a $5 billion business. Yeah. Uh, so like <laughs> I got a lot of friends who have heard of black, black rifle coffee and I think they think it's like, you know, two guys, a couple of cameras, and they're yeah. like fooling around down in Texas or something, right? Sure. They're like, ah, oh, whatever. And they're like, ah, oh, that's a really, really big business. Yeah, so the, it, I have such a complicated background. I think the best way to do it is to just start from the beginning. Let's do it. And so what I, I tell people is a story about my very first vehicle, a 67 Mustang that my grandma and my mom got me. And they're like, oh, wow, that's awesome. That's cool. In the 90s, it was a 30-year-old car. Yep. So it wasn't the sexiest thing. And it didn't even run. And, you know, I was, I was like 12 or 13 and my mom and my grandma was like, Hey, here's a Haynes manual. It doesn't run, figure it out. So when you turn 15, you get your driver's license. Cause 
you know, I qualified for hardship and everything growing up on a farm in, in Georgia, uh, I could drive at 15. So I took the Haynes manual, worked the summers, and figured out how to fix this vehicle. Yep. And that's kind of been my ethos, you know, not having money growing up. Um, you know, you figure things out because you can't afford to hire people to do it for you and you, you just get it done. And so keeping that in mind, I moved to Los Angeles to pursue a career in the entertainment industry. I went to the Groundlings. I did stand up comedy for a while. Were you funny? I, I, absolutely not. It's <laughs> 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 no, it's funny. It, 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 I, I would like to think I was, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I, I definitely had my shtick and it what, was, what, what was like some of the, uh, the better ones? Oh, I, I don't even want to go there, but I will say this. If anybody wants to watch kind of the progression, uh, I was, I was frustrated with the traditional way of doing things. Doing mm-hmm. stand up was great. I loved it. I would, I remember I had like this walk of shame that I would do. I would, I park over by, um, I forget like Sepulveda or whatever and walk all the way up to the hill, uh, to the store because I couldn't afford parking. And, uh, you know, one of my buddies was talking about different things. I was like, I just want to vent creatively. I just, mm-hmm. you, you know, there were these things on the internet at the time. Reebok did the Terry Tate office linebacker commercials mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that were a little bit risky and mm-hmm. everything. And I, I, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to vent creatively. I wanted to make funny stuff for the sake of being funny, not necessarily to get rich doing it. And YouTube came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2006. Um, and so I immediately started pursuing digital media opportunities. Uh, I got cast in the top 100 YouTube channel called Totally Sketch. And if anybody wants to see some of that stuff, you can see some cringeworthy, funny Richard Ryan stuff from back in the day. But uh, yeah, so I was like, you know, forget this, this traditional way of doing things, digital media, I want to go straight to consumer. And keeping that in mind, the same time the iPhone came out. Yeah, it's very forward thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2007. And then again, I was frustrated as a consumer with so many different things. And so I taught myself how to code, how Mm -hmm. to program. And uh, I was living on a porch in downtown Los Angeles in MacArthur Park. And I actually loved the community. A lot of people talk about the Rampart Division, how rough it was. It's like the sense of community was fantastic. Uh, but yeah, living on a porch, I taught myself how to program. I started my own software company. It sounds super bougie, but it's just a legal entity that I was creating mobile apps to be disruptive. That was the key. So uh, some of the first mobile apps that I created were, one, the entertainment industry. Like, like the, For those who know, there were casting notices, three big uh, companies out there, Now Casting, LA Casting, and Actors Access. And so what I did was I created a mobile app that aggregated all of them. So you'd use your login credentials and it would populate or query the different casting notices that would be of interest to you. Now, it was a big deal because the kind of legacy system was you either had to call on the phone and hear, listen to all the different casting notices, or you had to scrub through these like 30 page sheets of Mm -hmm. very inefficient ways of trying to find stuff, which you could overlook fairly easy. And I remember one day I got a call from one of the owners of one of those companies. And he was like, you're a hard man to get a hold of. And I was like, well, who is this? He's <laughs> like, this is so-and-so. Uh, I have this company and you have this app. You need to take it down. I was like, well, I'm just increasing your sales, right? Mm-hmm. Because people still have to have your service. I'm just using their login credentials to make your site better. 
And he's like, I don't care. I'm going to sue you until you don't have any more money. I was like, well, I don't have any money. <laughs> so good luck. Okay. I'll take it down. And, you know, again, being broke, I was like, I don't want to get sued. I can't yep. deal with this. But that was kind of my first taste of being disruptive. And it, the, the parallels of YouTube, social media, and mobile app technology, I, I see a lot of that right now in the world of blockchain and crypto. Um, but you know, moving forward, uh, creating those mobile apps, I created some of the first YouTube apps. Mm -hmm. So YouTube was native to iOS whenever you got your, your iPhone back in the day. And a lot of people don't even remember that. So being in the group of people who were big content creators, they had no clear monetization strategy. So what I did, again, trying to be forward thinking, I tied their AdSense to their mobile app so that we could serve ads onto that. And so everybody had their own app. I don't know if you remember that back in the day. Yeah. It was like, ooh, download my app, download my app. And it was like, there was a lot of things like the Get Rich Quick app or, or I'm Rich app. That's what it was. Uh, and people would try to charge, you know, five bucks for their app, which was really nothing. But that led to a really good relationship with YouTube and Google um, where I was on a Venn diagram. I was kind of a unicorn in a lot of ways because here I was this content creator, a marketer, but also a developer. Mm -hmm. So I kind of hit that sweet spot where I could speak from all perspectives. So uh, I was fortunate enough to be brought on, um, you know, to help consult on different issues or features. And to this day, I still get emails. I think a lot of people do too. Uh, but and that led to good relationships with studios, ad agencies, uh, game developers and everything. Because again, hindsight's twenty twenty. You look at Today, what our standard practices were extremely revolutionary back then. I'll give you examples like tying a tracking pixel to your your website or at least remarketing because Google owns YouTube, remarketing to your, your YouTube channel. I have 3 million followers on my personal YouTube channel or subscribers. Remarketing to them maybe standard practices now. Back then, nobody even knew it. Like, same thing with Facebook. Facebook, I remember, where you could get one cent per targeted impression or even CPMs were, were dirt cheap. Now it's like astronomical because everybody's doing it. Um, but I would go in and I would consult for different studios, ad agencies, and help them develop creative marketing strategies from a content creator perspective, but also help them calcula calculate their return on investment um, based off of impressions and everything. And it was interesting as an observation because back then everybody looked down upon digital. It mm -hmm. was, it was like, Oh, we like using these Hollywood actors. We'll have this trash budget over here. that's just disposable that we'll incorporate it, but you do what you want, which was awesome for yeah. me because it didn't come with any strings attached. That was money they were flushing anyways, cause they didn't care about it. Now you have a lot of brands or agencies that micromanage their campaigns and, you know, that you have all these middlemen that look for attribution models and they're like, oh, just trust me, you know, this is, you know, they're in the funnel or whatever it is. But I guess I'm getting distracted here. But um, the the relationship with YouTube, Google and all the agencies led to a relationship with Verizon and Hearst when they launched their Go90 initiative. They wanted to do a digital media brand that targeted the Heartland Millennial Mail daily editorial news based off of my then YouTube channel called Rated RR. They wanted to launch one called Rated Red. Um, and so from there, I was like, okay, let's do it. I'm going to move from Los Angeles to uh, Nashville. We launched this digital media brand. It was about 40 or 50 people in the studio. And at the same time, we were starting Black Rifle Coffee. Everyone was kind of doing their thing. 
Um, and here we are today. It was just... When you think of that studio, how much content were you guys cranking out? Seven, seven to 10 pieces. So it was a really ambitious project on Verizon and Hearst's, you know, like they, they did seven to 10 daily editorial news pieces. But so the way I like to grow brands, like Black Rifle is a great example of that, where we just took the same strategy that I was using on Rated Red, Mm -hmm. um, inspiration, education, and entertainment. Mm -hmm. You lean on those different things to either bring in a larger, uh, a, a larger demographic, and then you focus it with inspiration and then you SEO with education. Mm-hmm. And so like give me an example. Like what, what's one of the most popular videos you guys do? Sure. So, um, I guess with black rifle coffee is a, uh, an easier example. So okay. education, you know, I, I had to tell the guys that, Hey, look, let's do a bunch of coffee tutorials, like drinks, how to make it, stuff, how to like think about all of those things, yep. lay the foundation for SEO. Because once the big, sensational, controversial, whatever videos that get millions of views come in, this is going to help us uh, rank higher in search for all these videos because the channel is going to inherently get more more traffic that way because YouTube's going to say, hey, look, you like this, you might like this. And then it'll sample audiences with uh, the larger demographics and, and everything. So we had the gear and drink videos, but then the inspiration component, letting people know that, you know, hey, we're not just these guys shooting stuff and blowing stuff up. We actually have a purpose. So mm-hmm. I created a series of videos um, called It's Who We Are and Black Rifle Coffee Presents, which is focused on veterans and telling their stories and inside of our company. A great example of the inspiration component would be Wally, who, you know, he was... It, well, I'm going to do it no justice talking off the cuff here. Like I recommend everybody go watch his story, but it's, it's, it's inspirational to see an Afghan um, come here to the States that was dealing with racism and um, all the hardships and everything and, and the immigration process and him coming in to just being a rock star in our company. Like the, the dude is, he is a badass. He is, mm-hmm. he is, he's got an amazing heart. He's an extremely hard worker. We're so grateful to have him in our company, but there's so many stories like that. And so focusing on that inspiration component that solidifies uh, our mission statement with the customer so that they understand that we're not just dudes going out here, jumping out of helicopters and blowing stuff up. But then there is that piece. There is the component of blowing up limousines and doing really fun, wild, crazy stuff that people know, Hey, look, we're not this crazy corporate organization. We are a bunch of people that you could see just walking down the street, but we're having a good time doing it. Like Mm -hmm. you don't have to have a uh, extremely boring buttoned up, you know, like there, there can be a level of chaos. There can be a level of, of fun and excitement to the organization. So those three, three components work really well together. Same thing with Verizon and Hearst. We had our inspiration uh, we had our education. The education was more the daily editorial news, what's going on in the world, which had a very short shelf life, whereas Black Rifle Coffee's education component SEOs really well. So it's going to have a long tail as far as the algorithm's concerned. Um, and then we did documentaries at Verizon or Rated Red. And you know some of those document- documentaries were fantastic. Uh, we were also, at one point in time, where, like people were just laughing because we were... We were licensing any and everything that 
could be good for like they were throwing money at so many different things. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, they they killed the Go90 initiative. And under that, pretty much all of the brands like Rated Red, with the exception of Complex, is still going. Um, but, you know, they they just said, hey, look, we're going to walk away from creating digital media. We're going to we're going to focus on the hardware component and providing selling your blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So. At what point do you start to learn about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies? And, and uh, you, ha- you have this uh, foresight from like a digital media perspective. Uh, Bitcoin is uh, related because lots of content being created around it, but also completely different. And, and uh, most people wouldn't think of those two things as uh, kind of intersecting. So at what point uh, does that become interesting? It's so funny. I get cold chills because I'm like so excited right now. Like, like it, it's funny because like, dude, this is so crazy. Uh, I get really excited about these things because it, again, it reminds me the world of blockchain, Bitcoin, crypto, whatever, you know, whatever your niche is, it reminds me of social media and, um, the iPhone early on because right now, and I got to say thank you for having me here because I'm a huge fan. Like, uh, you are very articulate, very well-spoken, like you're a great ambassador, like seeing you on traditional media and everything else. And it's like, uh, the, the frustrations for me is seeing a lot of uh, people exploiting something new early on. And I've seen the exploitation early on of, of social media and, and crypto or um, mobile apps. And I'll give you a couple examples. Mobile apps, it was the I'm Rich app and everybody had a flashlight app, right? What I was focusing on is providing value to the consumer because I was that consumer. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there's a lot of cash grabs early on, but I wanted inventory control management via mobile device accessing uh, a website. You know, looking back, hindsight's 2020 now. Yeah, you can look at Best Buy and see the inventory of something. But 15 years ago, that was crazy forward thinking. Mm-hmm. Same thing with social media. A lot of people will claim to be influencers because they have a large social media following. That's not very accurate, in my opinion, because though you may get views, you don't necessarily have the ability to drive a conversion or influence the behavior of the people consuming your content. Matt, one of my business partners, is a great example of that. Like, guys want to be him, chicks want to bang him, right? Mm -hmm. And so he can drive that influence, drive the conversion in sales. Whereas, you know, early on, there were some fitness channels on YouTube that some fitness channels that got a lot of views, but they would never sell anything, which Mm -hmm. is kind of funny now looking at social media where Instagram is a lot of, a lot of that. And now I'm looking at the world of, you know, crypto and everything, I guess 2013, funny story. I was on Reddit and just looking around at like these different forums and stuff. And I, I started mining Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I was using like was it Diablo Miner and <laughs> I forget. yeah because I, I was I was mining off of the I wasn't GPU mining um, yeah it was CPU mining anyways uh, I could give you a, a photo I don't know if you edit these videos or not but I just did it for fun mm-hmm. I did it for fun in 2013 and in like 2017 Bitcoin kind of started going woke on. up woke up yeah. <laughs> And I was at Verizon at the time and, and some of the guys were like, Hey, what about this Bitcoin thing and blah, 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 blah. And I had this stack of hard drives because I was in media. I never threw anything away. Mm -hmm. I legit had over a hundred hard drives Mm -hmm. and I had no idea where my wallets were. (laughs) No clue. And like, there's so many stories where people talk about that and everything. I was legit one of those people. Mm -hmm. And 
Fortunately, at the time, I was very methodical about my security protocols, how I stored and remembered things. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to figure out where these wallets are. And we at Black Rifle had this company that was organizing a lot of our archive footage. I was like, hey, can I hire you guys to kind of archive all of my stuff, kind of sort things by dates and stuff like that? Didn't tell them what I was doing, Mm -hmm. but I knew approximately what year I could go through because I had footage from like 2009 when I was making YouTube videos and everything. So uh, they did, and I was able to query and actually find it and everything, which was fantastic. Um, You know, it was life-changing in a lot of ways, but... um, you know, now I'm looking at the world of, 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 of crypto and from a brand standpoint and a consumer standpoint, it's extremely exciting Yep. because, you know, I, I see the exact same thing with the writing on the walls. There's a lot of people who are claiming to be experts because they're loud or they're controversial or they're making sensational statements and stuff like that, but they're not actually providing value to the viewer or the consumer. And that's, that's what's getting me excited because I'll give you a couple examples. So what I see in the world, like NFTs are a great example. You hear a lot of people talking about NFTs and the average person sees it as scarce digital art. And when somebody asks me, well, what's an NFT? Well, it's proof. Well, what does that mean? Well, it can be proof of work. It can be proof of stake. It can be proof of ownership. It can be proof of brand loyalty. And that's a huge one for me. Um, because I can, I can figure out, you know, take Black Rifle as an example. We have a coffee club and we have all these different value propositions that makes it more advantageous for somebody to be in our coffee club subscription program than to just go out and buy it at some random place. Well, if I can create or tokenize that process mm-hmm. for specific people, I can, I can have a, a larger spend for keeping them in the club because you have attribution models, you have all these people that you pay that say, oh, well, you know, we're trying to keep people from churning out and and, and you have to trust us here because they're on this website and they're here, they're here, they're here. They're, and there's no real clear proof that they're they're in your funnel, but you got to trust us on it. So, well, if I can tokenize this in a way, I know where they're going to churn. I can spend, instead of giving that money to a third party, I can give it directly to the consumer. Mm-hmm. You can think of it as frequent flyer miles or whatever, but once everything gets on a, a few chains, it's it's going to be way easier for brands to reward brand loyalty in a way that I think the consumer is really, really going to benefit from in either experiences, tangible things, or virtual things. And that's what I've been focused on building in the last couple of years, but you know, you have so many challenges with what chain to build on. Mm-hmm. Um, where do I hire people? Mm-hmm. That's been a huge, I know you have, what is it? Uh, pomp crypto, crypto jobs. Crypto yeah. jobs. Yeah. Um, and trying to find a solidity dev right now is like trying to find an iPhone app developer in 2007. Yes. The, the demand is far outpacing the supply and that's what I've been struggling trying to recruit for these these different positions or even find companies that could supplement in on that. But uh, the writings on the walls, you know, there's a lot of get rich quick kind of schemes out there and everything. But I think the consumer and the brands are going to create a relationship that is going to be way more meaningful. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be ultimately beneficial for brands and lifestyle brands like Black Rifle Coffee because we're purpose driven. You know, mm-hmm. we're not just uh, profit driven or um, 
you know, some brands are just like identity driven, whatever it is for us, you know, it's about the consumers like NFTs. Like, uh, like I get so excited because a lot of people aren't necessarily thinking they're, they're thinking about the scarce digital art component, which is fun. It's exciting. And hopefully that brings some masses in not to the point where they get burned, like mm -hmm. rug pulls and stuff like that. But like they start seeing things like, Hey, you know, I want to mint tokens to people who physically go out and make a difference in their communities. Mm -hmm. Like if we have a nonprofit uh, that we're going to work with or the national park system, we're going to go pick up trash. We're going to be able to mint the tokenization and proof that they were there, that they helped and be able to reward them in the system. And there are so many different use cases and I'm not, I, you know, some people would be worried about front running themselves. I don't care at this point. Yep. Like, like I yeah, am just so much opportunity. For I'm, to go there's after. so much opportunity and I am just looking to fund as much as I can in mm -hmm. that space to be as disruptive. And, and a key component of that is uh, open source too. Um, because I think it's going to be a race to the bottom. Uh, right now, there's a lot of middlemen out there looking to get their royalties and mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And, um, it, it's just going to take a little bit of time, but, uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm standing up an organization that will be, um, a suite of tools, hopefully that brands, creators, and, and everyone could utilize without having to use all those third parties that are looking to be middlemen and mm -hmm. take their, their cuts on it. Because right now that's profitable for them, but I think down the road, it's just going to be a race to the bottom. So I'm looking at a picture. Uh, it looks like you went a uh, dead air jump and you had your uh, your uh, board ape yeah. along with you. Uh, wh what has been the experience of uh, joining the uh, the ape club there? Yeah. So it's funny. I, uh, I've kind of been following the project since its inception mm -hmm. and I've been active in the community. And, you know, I don't want to say paying my dues, but I, I don't I'm not looking to exploit the NFT for social clout. What I care about is the community and the people in it. So I've been active even before I had the ape. I reached out to a couple of guys <laughs> last summer because they were very specific, like uh, Captain Trib Trippy or whatever. I was like, hey, man, I really want this ape. How much would you sell it to me for? And he was like, uh, my cost basis on Ethereum was super cheap. So, uh, but he was like, ah, I'm not going to sell it. And I like, I, I was, I have um, all these multi-sig wallets and I was trying to, cause he had it listed for a 50 ETH and I was trying to get it. And it was literally an hour after going through all the multi-sig process that I was able to fund a wallet to try to buy it. And he took it down and, uh, it, it's been great though. Like I, I talked to a couple of guys like, uh, Carson, who is, uh, an air force vet. And it, it's a fascinating observation for me because I see, I see the guys in the community or the people in the community. And that's really what gives a project value. There's the devs, their roadmap and the community. And there's a lot of empty projects out there that the, the devs have a ro roadmap, but they're not really proven on it. I think the board eight, uh, project or yuga in particular have done an exceptional job on their execution component. Um, but I, again, I was talking with Carson, I was noticing the social observation where some guys, their identity had become their, their PFP or their NFT. And some people choose not to, uh, let's say, create a better real world life mm -hmm. by the financial gain that they could have Correct. from selling their PFP because the identity is so meaningful 
to them. The community is so meaningful. And it's, it's, it's a really interesting social observation. And that's why I'm like, okay, how can we do this in a way that we can provide the community component, give people the purpose, but not have to worry about the financial gain? Maybe, maybe the financial gain is a, is a component that people like. I, I completely understand that. But it, it's, just, it's just a fascinating observation. He sold, I think he sold an M3 or a, um, a Megaserum and... Uh, he was like, I, I, I got kids, man. I can't not improve their quality of life. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand that. But the fact that there was a dilemma in the first place puts, the, again, the writing on the walls that there's something big coming mm-hmm. and and you're not going to be able to stop it. Like you can plan for it. And you, again, right now, I'm never going to be the guy who says this is where it's going and what it's doing because it'd be the same thing, in my opinion, as in 1996 saying, in 2020, people are going to be looking up definitions on the internet. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be carrying a dictionary around. Or, you know, if you want to go anywhere in 2020, people are going to be printing directions off of a website called uh, MapQuest. And Mm -hmm. they're going to be going to web crawler and all these. It's like, yeah, you're kind of right, but you can't really see where the innovation is going to go. So I try not to be arrogant about predictions. I try to be as brutally honest as possible is what I want as a consumer and help build towards that. Um, and ultimately if you feel like you're (laughs) exploiting, like, you know, some people, again, I go back to the royalties as an example and everything. It's like, what would you want personally as a consumer? Mm -hmm. And if you can build that for people, there is so many value propositions out there right now that are not being catered to, uh, you know, the next Amazon's coming. Yeah, it's pretty incredible when you start to think of it from that perspective. Yeah, what, what do you think the things that the Bitcoin and crypto community are doing well, and the things that they need to improve on? Like, if you had to uh, be both a, a bull and kind of a bear uh, wow. to some degree, what, that's a great question. Um, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. I think I think education is a huge component to anything, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I appreciate people like you who are clearly articulate. Uh, when going on mainstream media where there are some sensationalists and I, I bust your balls about the uh, Bitcoin <laughs> is closer to zero than it is to a uh, hundred thousand. But that's, that's a great. Uh, listen, I'm not, I never said I was Einstein, but when it crosses over 50 <laughs> and I could tweet that and people were get so mad. I'm but, like, that's true though. It's but, a fact. But there's, so there's, there's, there's an education component that I think that the average person isn't willing to necessarily spend the amount of time that's required to understand Ethereum or, you know, what a, a hard fork versus a soft fork is. And maybe that comes in time, maybe it doesn't. But I think when people get on TV, be it, I don't know, the business shows or big YouTube or Twitter accounts. I, I've, I've followed a bunch of YouTube channels for the longest period of time. And I found out that they were just kind of wrecking my emotions. Like, mm-hmm. And I was getting churned out in the volatility in the market and everything. And I, I have to believe that that's happening to a lot of people. They're getting burned um, you know, in the volatility. They, they, they go in arguably way heavier than they should. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, there's just an education component. And I think for the the people in the, the community like yourself or whoever, it's, I don't want to say you want to disown certain people, but 
the education hopefully could be maybe more push, yeah, be more helpful. Uh, and so influencers are a good example. You know, early on 2010, a lot of influencers who got views and stuff. And now you got people like Mr. Beast who are absolutely crushing it and uh, very strategic, very calculated, but also a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think over time it's going to help, but the, the, to accelerate adoption, we need people to understand certain mm-hmm. things like what's the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum and why is that important? Mm-hmm. There's no necessarily right or wrong answer because a lot of times things can be distilled down to an ideology or whatever it is. Um, you know, people see Bitcoin, uh, another good example, as a nefarious way to, to transfer money. I, I, I promise you all the three letter government organizations love Bitcoin. It's a public ledger. Like it's mm-hmm. permission it permissionless, but it's public ledger. Mm-hmm. So from transaction one to the most recent, they can follow the money, and that becomes a challenge too because people think, well, what's going on in the world with Ukraine and everything, and some of the challenges I've had recently, whereas like with uh, you know some exchanges, it's like, well, what happens if uh, you get blacklisted, your mm-hmm. wallet gets blacklisted, and they say, well. Okay, well, you can move it to another wallet. But what if they come up with a system that says, hey, look, let's let's just blacklist any wallet that interacts with this wallet. So mm-hmm. there's there's different things that, you know, we, we should be having conversations about. But I think there's a lot of misinformation out there that be it financial institutions that didn't want the adoption of Bitcoin or or whoever there's just a, a gross miseducation early on as to what the value proposition of each chain is and yeah. and why it's important and you know like bitcoin's not a nefarious thing like we everyone loves it you know for the most part but what, what are you most excited about looking for like, let's go over the next 10 years like are there milestones NFTs. are there things that you're nfts okay why nfts um because again it's it, it's it's that the the non-fungible component of mm-hmm the the tokenization of brand loyalty for me specifically mm-hmm. because I don't see like everything that I'm looking at right now isn't necessarily an investment I'm like I'm I'm looking at how can we incentivize uh, change in a meaningful way in our world between and I know this sounds super cheesy but between brands uh, and and consumers to have a more positive impact on our communities our countries and the world as a whole. Um, and I think that that's, that's in part where Web2 failed, right? Because I, I heard someone uh, speaking at some point in time, I forget where it was, but they were like, if there was a payment mechanism implemented in you know, the HTTP protocol early on, we'd probably be in a really, really different world right now. You think about the incentive structure in, in Web2 is almost all ad-based. Same thing with television too, it's, it's advertising-based. So he who's most sensational gets the most views, gets the most ad revenue. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like we've kind of the polarization in America and people and communities and everything else. You know, again, I don't want to be too idealistic, but hopefully Web3 can fix that by having a more direct relationship between the creators, the brands, and the people and the consumers. And when the people say, hey, look, I'm tired of arguing with everybody. Like, I want to have a more meaningful relationship with my family, my community, my Mm -hmm. country, and the world. We start focusing on getting rid of all this noise and misinformation. I know I sound idealistic, but I wholeheartedly believe that 
you know, the more transparent with open protocols or whatever, I think this web three thing is really going to revolutionize how we interact as humans with each other in a way that's just going to completely transform the landscape. Um, and it, and it starts with monkey pictures. (laughs) 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 No, but like legit, like, like, like I I started that. So I, I'm on the flight out here. I emailed or I texted one of my friends, Mike, Ritland, who is a, a former Navy SEAL, he has um, um, a handful of businesses from um, working dogs that he um, procures and trains for either executive protection or or to his dog food treat company to his nonprofit. Um, I believe it's the the Warrior Dog Foundation. And they, they bring in military working dogs that can't be or might not have homes, right? They bit people or whatever. And he's got like a hundred dogs in, a, in his kennel. And it, I, was, I was thinking about it. I was like, like I can tokenize um, support for each one of these dogs and have a meaningful relationship with the token holders mm-hmm. in a way that is, is going to be attributable and if at any point they churn or whatever, we can burn this or do this. And and just the ability to do that in a very, very efficient way without having to build websites and involve middlemen in, in doing it either with like a, a layer two solution, be it Polygon or uh, Avalanche or whatever, the cost will be minimal, not necessarily worried about security in mm-hmm. that sense, but we're going to be able to solidify a relationship between real world impact, meaningful impact on the life of an animal that served its country, right? Mm-hmm. That has no home, but still needs support in some way directly to that consumer. And I'm like, that's fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, traditionally you'd have to, you'd have to do snail mail mailers and you maybe get a postcard and it, okay, I'm, I'm supporting this cause, but like through blockchain technology, you, you'll be able to have a, a, a transparent, attributable trail and the costs are going to be minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one use case. And again, I'm front running myself on a lot of things here, but, uh, it's exciting. It's like, it's extremely exciting. Um, I feel like my vocabulary lacks me on that, but it's, 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 it's the thing that wakes me up in the morning where I'm willing to throw as much money, uh, like, Again, like I'm standing up a company, I don't even have a name for it, but I, I know like it's like a G suite of tools or an Adobe suite of tools that I'm going to eventually just have open source, take it or leave it. Um, but for creators, brands, people to plug and play in a sense that, you know, you don't have to worry about middlemen just mm-hmm. always cutting in for royalties. I think there's a lot of people out there right now that, and again, I don't want to throw people under the bus, but it's frustrating when I see people going on GitHub or OpenZeppelin and then just copy and pasting code and charging people astronomical amounts of money. And all they're doing is, is changing variables. I did that. I'm that guy. Like I remember when doom came out way back in the day, one of my first things that I did as like a, a programmer hacker or whatever uh, that I was so proud of. I don't even remember how old I was. I was under 10 for sure. But all I did was I, I, I went into Doom and it was MS Paint at the time. And I created a bunch of really shoddy looking mobster images and guns. And and I just changed all of the demons and aliens to gangsters. And so I played Doom as this this really crappy 
mobster game with Tommy <laughs> guns and everything. And so I get it. I totally understand it. But like to move the ball forward as quick as possible, I'm, I'm really, really excited to be in the space. Yeah. Uh, before we finish up, I want to play a little game where I just throw out topics sure. or questions and you just fire off whatever you think of first. I'm, I'm so cerebral, man. I'm <laughs> probably the worst about that stuff. Yeah, let's do it. Favorite Black Rifle coffee? Uh, um, roast? Roast, yeah. Silencer Smooth. Okay. Uh, person you most respect in the world? Oh, Jesus. Not necessarily Jesus, but like, I, have no, <laughs> I have no idea. That's such a tough one. Respect. Wow. Wow. I, 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 I don't know. Okay. Person who you think is the biggest idiot in the public sphere when talking oh, about Bitcoin on. or crypto. <laughs> oh man, no way. No, I, I like there is there is someone I would say, but um I'm not gonna start drama. No way. Uh, no I, way. Single best video you've seen on the internet. Respect. In I will say Paul Newman. Paul Newman. Okay, yeah, that's a great answer. For sure. Uh single best video you've seen on the internet in the last year. Hmm. Man, again, I have to say the first thing that comes to mind, this this isn't going to be the best. I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to another one. I'm going to think of something exponentially better. We had uh, one of the guys who works for our company, Dan Horgan. Shout out to Dan Horgan was at a Spartan race in San Antonio and goes to jump a a ditch of water and uh-huh. completely fail. <laughs> and it is getting memed all over the place on Instagram and TikTok. It's going viral and it is cringeworthy watching him fail. Like he like does the spl- front splits and just cases hard on it. I hope you're doing okay, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. What's your favorite Twitter account to follow? Ooh. I'm trying to think what's 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 the first thing that comes to mind. Um, man, I don't know. Like again, the first person I would I would say would like because I'm so each social media platform is kind of a different value proposition yep. for me, and it would probably be uh, you are into oh, the crypto first. I, 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 I kid you not, because Twitter is more of it. So people hate. Like they, they'll see me on YouTube yep, and they'll be like, oh, the guy with guns and explosives. Awesome. I'll follow him on Twitter. All he talks about is fucking crypto. <laughs> and it's like, talk about guns or the things that like I care about. So it's like every different social media platform is a th- different thing that I focus on because it's what interests me on there. And it's horrible. So what is your favorite YouTube channel? Oh, man. I don't know. I can tell like... <laughs> So I, I kid you not. So like, so I'm subscribed to you, Phil DeFranco into the cryptoverse. And this art that's funny because the, those I would say are the Twitter accounts that I'm interacting with. That's where you with. get all the crypto uh, yeah. information. Yeah. From. Yeah. yeah. And so, so Ben, uh, is, is an interesting one from a data analytics perspective because I, you know, I, I, being that person myself, I really value that. And having been burned over the years with the clickbait of YouTube channels and everything, I really appreciate his channel and his very calculated approach to uh, traditional markets and, you know, the crypto markets and everything. Um, but I find myself uh, like on space channels and all these different weird Fun ones. Stuff. Yeah. Like I, I watched this video the other day at like 10 o'clock at night and I was like, how am I here? And it's this, this, this dude in Europe doing beehives with 
clear plastic jars and stuff and like what what am i doing like how am i being served up these things but you get to pick one place to go on vacation the only vacation you'll have the rest of your life where do you go oh wow wow these are so challenging um one vacation It's weird because so there's a, there's a book that I really enjoy called algorithms to live by. Yeah. It's a great book. And, and it goes into detail about the exploration and exploitation mm-hmm. parts of your life. And I feel like I've gotten to the point of exploitation. Um, and I'm kind of out of that exploration where it's like, there's things that I know that I like mm-hmm. and, and one of the greatest experiences I've ever had was, um, being able to go to this remote island off of Seychelles and the food was absolutely fantastic. It was, the people were amazing. It's like, I would love to say, Hey, I want to go here. I want to go there. Like, but it would probably be Alphonse off of Seychelles or Kodiak Island off of Alaska, because those were two of the greatest experiences I've ever had. I'm very reluctant to experience new things. (laughs) Now I'm like in that exploitation part of my life. All right. Uh, You get kidnapped. You get to a phone. You get one phone call. Somebody to come help you. Who do you call? Uh, One of my partners. All right. Which one? (laughs) I don't know. That'd be a tough one. Do Do you have their cell phones memorized? That's the other thing. I am. I don't don't know anybody's number. I don't know any. I barely know my number. (laughs) Like, yeah. I feel like I feel like Evan's so well connected in so many different ways. Um, between yeah, it would probably be Evan. He'd All be right. like, "Hey, sorry, Richard, can't help you today. Can you call me back? I'm busy right now. I'm running, <laughs> running a fucking company here, man. Like, quit, quit calling me with your problems. Like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> who's the one person you could see becoming the president of the United States that would blow people's minds? Oh man. You legitimately think they would have a shot that I would want, or I could see that you could see. I don't know. It really, I like, I, like again. I'm at that point where assumptions and speculation, like I know, we're just going to get burned in that sense. Where it's like, the, who, who's, the, who's, who's, who saw Trump coming in, in, you know, yep. 2016, I would say like, what I like, Simpsons. I, I would look, <laughs> that's true. Uh, objectively, like I, w- I would love to see somebody, I feel like Rogan said it best where it's like anybody who we'd want in that position probably doesn't want to be there. Yep. And, and, you know, bet- between him and Patrick, Bet David and everyone, there's, there's really great, people who are in positions of power, but they're still able to be objective, rational thinkers to which might, some people might argue, but I think that they don't get um, too passionately ignorant about certain things and their willingness to change their opinions is, is really profound, especially this day and age. I'd love to see those guys entertain those things. I know Rogan was saying that he, you know, didn't want to have, politicians on anymore and everything else. But, you know, I, uh, fuck, man, I, I wish I, I have no idea at this point. I, I, I get the rocks going to be president. See, I was going to say the rock, I was going to say the rock, but then I start thinking of idiocracy or is like where yeah. was it Terry Cruz? That was the president. No, you you got to remember that uh, the rock is uh, I think he's intelligent. I yeah. think that he actually is pretty centr- centrist. 
and it feels to me like uh, a lot of the bullshit would just get like removed, right? Like he, he seems to me like kind of like a no bullshit guy, yeah. uh, which is probably like a pretty good thing. You need somebody who's like not into the bureaucracy. You need somebody who uh, appears to keep an open mind. You yeah. need somebody who is uh, intelligent. And uh, I also just like the idea of like, the rock being the United States representative to go meet all these like world leaders, like little, you know, little short five, seven foot yeah. people yeah. and him being like, hello, we're yeah. going to negotiate now. <laughs> That's funny because you know, I, I would love, I'd love to see somebody like him who's, who perceptionally like has, you know, been a, a really compassionate person and things that they do, but also well-spoken, but you know, I think the change can't necessarily come from just one person. It's going to have to come from the ground up. And, you know, I've said this for a long time. I even tried doing a podcast, you know, 2014, 2015. I was like, how do we do that? Was you first have to play an active role in your family and then play an active role in your community. And then maybe on a state level and, and figure out things um, on a federal level. Um, because I think that's where it starts, right? From the ground up. And again, very idealistic. It's a lot of work and everything. But, you know, I think that's that's one of the bigger problems that we have as a country mm -hmm. or as a world. Um, you know, I, I joke, I say that whenever I was in Los Angeles, I was the gun-toting redneck. And when I was in Nashville, I was the gay-loving liberal because people inherently gravitate towards the things that they disagree with you on. But that's not necessarily the case. We're probably, like, I think the shade of gray in America Huge. Is, is way bigger than what it gets credit for. But again, the polarization gets all the views and mm -hmm. it gets all the ad revenue, which is extremely unfortunate. And especially with a two-party system where you know, you're know you a registered Democrat or you're a registered Republican, you're probably gonna be on a polarized perspective mm -hmm. of a lot of issues. But it's like, and that's why I've never really embraced one party. Maybe libertarian short of anarchy, uh, you know, I believe in the individual's right to choose in a lot of different levels as long as it's not, you know, impacting somebody else. And again, like COVID or, you know, abortion, there's all these different things that people aren't necessarily arguing that shade of gray. They're arguing the the polarizing things. So it's like, you know, if we can we can come together on that in some way, shape or form where information is is laid out in a way that we can have open conversations, I don't think it's ever going to happen with just one president. But, and again, that's me going on a rant. Apologize for that. <laughs> I, I think, it, I think you're dead on that. That's the, yeah. uh, that's the key to it. Where can we send people to find you on the internet or, uh, or learn more about uh, the various projects you've done? Yeah, I'm the worst when it comes to social media because I'm, I'm usually so focused on, on everyone else um, and, and creating systems that like Instagram is a good example. I post or I had posted like once or twice a year. Twitter is mostly about crypto. My YouTube channel is mostly about firearms. So that's full mag, uh, but also Black Rifle Coffee. Like uh, you're not gonna see me on a lot of that stuff, but no, I'm working uh, behind the scenes on a lot of different solutions there. Um, you know, at Richard Ryan on most different things, so. The, um, uh, the thing that I appreciate is, uh, you just gotta do it for very long periods of time. Everyone gets all excited. Like, oh, look, I, I got some followers of first week, first month, whatever. Yeah. It's like, listen, you've been doing this for over a decade, right? Yeah. The longer it's very you do cliche. It. It's very cliche for people to say you have to do it because you love it. Um, but the truth of the matter is you, you're not going to make any money. You're going to get burned out. And what's going to give you a competitive edge is being excited about the things you're creating. Um, if you're doing it solely for uh, monetary gain, you'll get burned out. 
you won't feel as rewarded. For me, I was, you know, jumping out of airplanes or doing things that I was actually genuinely excited about. If it got views, great, but that wasn't necessarily the thing that was driving me in it. And I think there's, be it business or whatever, it's not to say that everything in life is going to be something that you're going to enjoy. You Mm -hmm. do have to put in hard work and everything, you know, go on another rant there. That's one of the frustrations that a lot of people, you know, will have once they do find some type of success or it's like, you know, I sacrificed my twenties and my, most of my thirties to get where I'm at now. And a lot of people don't see that. It's like when you're going out partying or whatever, it's not to say you can't do that, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was, you know, and woe is me, woe is me. Um, I'm not complaining in any shape or form, but, you know, I was, you know, I moved out to Los Angeles and was homeless, you know, like, you know, sleeping on a porch, sleeping in my truck, you know, one, you know, broken alternator away from, you know, not having a vehicle to get from A to B. But th- this thing consumed me, like mm-hmm. these things consumed me. And, you know, it came at the sacrifice of probably relationships, mm-hmm. um, be it uh, personal or, or professional or whatever. And, you know, now I'm at that exploitation part. And it's like, there is, life is a yin and yang in a lot of ways where it's like, you have to find some type of balance ultimately. Otherwise it's not going to be healthy. And I, I feel like I'm trying to find that now while still being excited and still being as obsessive. And, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see where the road leads. I think you're doing a great job so far. So thanks so much it. for coming in and uh, we'll definitely have to do this again in the future. I appreciate it. It's, extremely a lot of fun like it, it's an honor being here i never thought i would be and uh thanks for responding to me on twitter <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for listening to today's episode i really hope you guys enjoyed this one make sure you subscribed on apple spotify or your favorite podcast player and if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the bitcoin or crypto industry we've got you covered head over to pompscryptocourse.com we've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.